Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Cortalinias podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Zach Lowy. Uh, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, and it's we've in the past few weeks, we've had a, a wide variety of guests on. Uh, David Novo, executive editor of the Hecord newspaper. Cristiano Oliveira, a Portuguese-American radio host. João Mateus, um, a coach and analyst uh, in the Portuguese setup. And today we've got a really interesting guest who is a bit more data-focused, but uh, very excited to have him on today. His name is Julio Costa. Uh, Julio, or Julio, I guess, because <laughs> he's Portuguese. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Zach. What about you? I'm doing well. Um, so it has been a pretty crazy week for Portuguese football. Uh, obviously the biggest storyline, uh, happening on Tuesday with Porto hanging it, hanging on, uh, despite Meditaremi's red card and, and, uh, eliminating Juventus at, uh, at Juventus stadium in Turin. So let's, let's dive into the, the trending topic, um, which, is, which is the Porto victory. Uh, I know there are some other headlines with uh, the other Portuguese player on the, on the, on the losing end, but uh, we, can, we can talk about that later. Um, what did you make of the match that Juventus played um, at, 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 in Turin? Well, it, as you said, like, it was crazy, like, you know, I know a lot of Porto fans and, and of course, like, have a lot of fans that that's watched that game and, and it was just, wow, absolutely wow. Uh, and again, like, Porto is known for the kind of character, you know, how resilient they are as a team and, and the attitude and determination. And I guess that's pretty much what went to that, you know, while playing with 10 men, they, they'll hang in there and then they still score that amazing free kick uh, from Sergio Oliveira. And, and again, from the other side, from Juventus, it was, it was a poor game. I, I feel that not taking any credit from Porto because they had like an amazing achievement with, with that victory. But Juventus has been lately uh, under Pirlo a, a bit predictable, if, in my opinion. Um, there's no much solutions in how to get like forward quickly or or get bodies in, in the penalty box for those like quadrado uh, crosses, which only happen really late in the game uh, when you're kind of like trailing behind, uh, or you even have like an extra player. Obviously, th there's a lot of, of things that are wrong, but of course, like not taking credit at all from Porto and. and before that game, like the build-up, from what I've seen, it was uh, it was an historic day because it was I think it was the ten and ten year anniversary or something like that or eleven that Porto beat Man United at Old Trafford that they drew and they they knocked down um, Man United so that was kind of like as for Porto players and and also for the fans kind of like a motivational build-up as well and. 
as I've seen from, from Porto this season, especially the Champions League, um, they're, they're quite patient uh, and then they explore the opponent's weaknesses. Uh, some might not say it's, it's not necessarily a beautiful game that they play, but it, I would say it's quite effective. And, and again, it proved to Porto that, that they knew what they were doing. They, they studied Juventus' weaknesses. They, they knew uh, which areas were, were the weakest uh, for them to attack and, and to defend. And, and of course, they, they did really well in that sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for me, I, I, I would like to separate uh, Juventus's poor showing on the night with the uh, it, as a collective um, with just just pointing out that I thought that Juan, Juan Cuadrado and Federico Chiesa did very well uh, for themselves, despite an overall pathetic showing from Juve. Uh, yes, Chiesa missed that one chance where he was being closed down by Pepe. Uh, but overall, he was he and Cuadrado were really the only ones who stepped up for Juventus. Um, what did what did you make of of Pep's showing Pepe's showing? Because for me, that was just one of the one of the best center back showings I've ever seen. Uh, yes, he was playing in, you know, a deep block, but it wasn't like he was just, you know, well, it wasn't like he was, you know, in a Sean Dyche, um, Burnley's 4-4-2, you know, just heading away crosses. Now he was actually tracking back, sprinting forward and, 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 and sprinting backwards. This was as much of a mental display as it was, you know, an athletic display uh, at 38 years of age. He showcased why on his day he is still one of the best uh, central defenders in Europe. Well, I agree with you, uh, with Chiesa and, and also with Quadrado. They were definitely the best players. And Chiesa is like, you can see that he will be a prominent, you know, like figure in Italian football for sure. Um, and regards to, to Pep, it, it, as you said, it's amazing as well. You know, 30 years old and real Ferdinand and actually on, on like, you know, on BT Sports, he said that if he was a manager, he would show, you know, his youngsters, defenders, especially centre-backs, how to actually defend. That, that's how uh, he saw that, that performance. And for me, it was just, was just amazing and again as you said it was just not sitting down and just clear everything it was the athleticism the tracking back as you mentioned how it keeps that like physical form at 38 years old is just amazing and again the mental preparation and pressure as well that that he goes at Turin stadium and and just have that amazing game you know it's just incredible and of course like for a lot of, of Portuguese people you know we see this as like okay he can still be part of this hero squad for sure now what we're thinking at least in my mind is how do we replace because that for me personally i'm not too worried about ronaldo's case like okay we need ronaldo to be replaced in the national team in a few years my biggest concern right now is the center back pairing 
And of course, like if Pep leaves the national team after the Euro Cup, then there will be a problem. Of course, there are some youngsters that are coming now and they're playing well. But of course, the level that you have and having him with Ruben Diaz as centre-backs this Euro Cup is going to be massive for that back four, if we play in the back four, which I assume that's, that's what it's going to be. And it's just amazing. Uh, I, I did enjoy his, his uh, defending uh, game. was was amazing. I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, I, I took a lot of heat uh, on, on Tuesday when I said that Pepe will be a lot harder for Portugal to place than Ronaldo. And, you know, I, I, I realize that this is Twitter and, uh, you know, people, they, a lot of people support players instead of clubs. And uh, a lot of people, when, when you criticize Ronaldo or Messi, uh, they will get super offended and, and just spout nonsense. But I I did not mean to discredit Ronaldo's accomplishments for the Portuguese national team. I mean, alongside Eusebio, he is the greatest uh, Portuguese player of all time. However, when you look at Portugal's attacking options, uh, Andre Silva, Rafael Leao, um, Joao Felix, Pedro Neto, Francisco Trincao, Diogo Jota, uh, and so on, so on. Bernardo Silva, even, even though he's probably the oldest at, what, what is it, 26 years old. Um, not to mention Bruno Fernandes in midfield. I mean, I think that they will be fairly well suited um, to, to replacing Ronaldo. On the other hand... Uh, Portugal's centre-back options, at least in comparison, aren't great. Um, you know, of course, Ruben Diaz has been phenomenal for Manchester City this season since, since joining from Benfica. Outside of Diaz, though, um, you know, there, there's an argument to be made. I think I, that, that Jose Font, at even 37 years of age, uh, is still Portugal's third-best centre-back. Um, outside of him, you have guys like, I think it'll be between Domingos Duarte and Ruben Semedo for that fourth center-back slot for this summer's Euros. Uh, David Carmo at Braga, once he returns from injury, I think will be in that conversation as well. Feo um, was part of that, that, that collection of young talent that came through following Bruno Lodge's appointment at Benfica alongside Joao Felix and Florentino Luis. But he hasn't really kicked on. It, you know, we thought there would be a, a, a solid partnership at club and country between Diaz and Ferro. But, but those two um, career paths have sort of gotten in opposite direction. Ferro loaned out um, at Valencia. And, I, I mean, Diogo Leite and, and Diogo Queiroz, another um, pairing that, that were expected to do well, that had done well at the youth level for Portugal, as well as at the youth level for Porto. Uh, late, on the other hand, has has mostly ridden the bench under under Sergio Conceição. Diogo Queiroz, on the other hand, joining Pamalicao. Um, so, in summary, there aren't gr- many great options. Uh, you know, Eduardo Quaresma as well, another player who was expected to take the leap this season, but um, but but has really struggled for game time under Ruben Abarim. Uh, Gonzalo Inacio has done well on the right side of the back free, 
but still concerns over how he will adapt uh, to that, to, to playing at a higher level, playing in a back four as well. Um, personally, if I was Fernando Santos, I would be testing uh, England's resolve and, and calling up Ezri Consa. I, I know that he is eligible for England, Portugal, and I believe Angola as well. So no guarantee he would accept a call-up, but I think it's just worth a shot because, um, you know, after Diaz, I think that he is probably the best young center back that, that Portugal could have um, but to, 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 to play in, in the, in the post-Pepe and, and Font uh, era. But in, in summary, I just think that it'll be a lot tougher um, for Portugal to replace Pepe than replace um, Cristiano Ronaldo. And then that's not to say that Ronaldo hasn't been um, a, a, f- a force to be reckoned with over the past, what, two decades at this point. It's just that the options uh, who, who are at a, you know, a, a similar level, they're just so much more... Um, there are a lot more options for at a similar level of Ronaldo than, than with Pepe. Um, and, you know, I wanted to get your take on what, what have you made of Ronaldo this season under, under Andrea Pirlo? Uh, there have been a lot of rumors over the past few days linking him to a, to a return um, at Real Madrid. But would he be in your um, Portugal XI? Uh, obviously, he will be starting this summer um, because, you know, Fernando Santos is, is going to play his captain. But, but I, I wanted to get your take. If you were the coach, would he be in your lineup? Well, I mean, as you said, and, and like, you know, Twitter can be an interesting place at times and agree with you. Like, just because you're saying that, you know, it's harder to replace one player if you look at the depth that that a squad has and, and agree with you like 100 percent and hopefully Ezra would say it's if he could join Portugal I would say it would be the best addition on that with regards to Ronaldo this season it's it's a strange one because you know I, I was talking with you know like with some people on Twitter and it's always interesting as you said you have like some Ronaldo haters some messy haters and then you know you say something about one and you get like fired all over and like you know it's just like really really interesting where you cannot separate like like kind of a different perspective and view on players like um i feel that last season with sorry uh you know it was not the best ronaldo that i've seen of course but it was still a bit better in, in terms of, of what uh, the team could have done for him and what he could do with the team, because Ronaldo is the kind of player that it will probably, and I would say maybe it's, it, it's slightly less for Messi because Messi is more of a creator kind of player, but Ronaldo will give you as much as you kind of give it to him. And that's why the partnership with um, Real Madrid was the perfect partnership. You know, you had creative players and you had players that linked so well with Ronaldo as well on the front three that, you know, every season it would have been amazing. And and that's the problem at, at Juve. Of course, we have a lot of inconsistency from a lot of players, and that makes it difficult to get to that main target player because that's the role that Ronaldo has now. 
it's the, the Ronaldo that was at Man United and beginning of, of Real Madrid was kind of more creative, kind of more dribbling. He still dribbles right now. You can see some time to time, but it was more of kind of, we, we have this term that to disrupt kind of like, you know, the, the, the defenses. That's, that's what he used to, to really do. And now he's more of the target player. And it's kind of hard when either he has to be the one kind of dropping a certain lines to get that ball. I've seen so many times in this Juve team at, at Real Madrid. Literally, you would see him sometimes. Of course, like when when out of possession, he would help and defend. But when the team was in the build-up, you would see Ronaldo midfield up. Now you see him kind of dropping even further because there's no passing lines or, or there's no movement, just because of of, of the way that that Pirlo patiently wants that ball. And, and it's quite interesting as well because. I don't know if you guys had the chance to read, but I did read um, Pirlo's thesis for his UEFA Pro qualification, and it talks about how this concept of like attacking and, and enthusiastic and fun football from all these different managers. But then when you look really how Juventus is playing, it's just very, very different. Like there's some in good individual talent as well. You have Kulusevski as well and Chiesa. But but mostly it will get that possession kind of like build up a little bit slow, and then we'll get into the air in, into one of the wide channels to see if they can get deliver that cross to the area and just see if there's there's bodies there. Again, like uh, Quadrado is is one of the, the I think uh, so far with these two matches he has the most assists in the Champions League. So kind of like tells you. Uh, what is the most attacking outlet in in terms of like of what they want to get that ball? And again, if if you have like certain teams that will be defending those areas, even for players like Ronaldo or, or like for Morata to get those crosses, it, it can be difficult, as you've seen against Porto. And and going back to the Ronaldo uh, part of it, I mean, it, I would put in always on my team. I feel that with Ronaldo and Messi, it doesn't matter if they're, and this might sound really, really kind of bad in the sense of planning, but these two type of players, they just attract so much opposition that you really want them to have in the pitch so they can open up spaces for others. And, and just having Ronaldo, when you have to face Ronaldo or Messi and you have to mark two, three players, that's such an advantage for, for the attacking team, the one that you have those kind of players. And of course, you know, like moments of brilliance also can happen uh, when you least expect with, you, with, with, with this kind of player. That, that's why I, I'll always have Ronaldo on my starting 11. And, and the attitude, you know, like he, he really pushes all his teammates. I know that some people kind of make fun of it now on Twitter, but, but it's, it's very important um, to have someone who can, who can just drive and, and kind of like, give that energy and kind of lead the team. And I would say that that makes a big difference in terms of like, of the mentality of the players around it. If you look at it at Man United, for example, not, not giving the kind of like, not comparable, but still in the same sense, Bruno Fernandes has kind of like, you know, when he went to Man United, he gave this attitude, you know, it's kind of like, Okay, we're Man United. This is how we have to play. We have to win this way. We have to come on, guys. Let's go. Kind of giving that, that kind of a leader, 
uh, role in that squad. And, and that's something that, like, for example, Ronaldo gave us to the national team that we didn't used to have before that. And I think it's really interesting. I mean, we do have great players like Figo. Uh, he, he done that as well, but not to the extent that Ronaldo gives, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to uh, disagree with with that. Um, Ronaldo still provides something uh, that that not many, really, no other Portuguese player can provide in just in just striking fear into the minds of of defenders. Um, so no matter what, he will have a massive role to play this summer uh, at the Euros. I want to switch gears now and get into um, another topic of our podcast, which is Portuguese managers uh, coaching abroad. So we, di- I, we discussed this on the podcast a few weeks prior with Vasco Samuco, um, but I want to get into a little more of, of the tactical setup of, of a few of these coaches. Um, there are plenty of managers who are uh, coaching abroad at this point. Um, obviously, Nuno Espirito Santo, um, Pedro Martins at Olympiacos, uh, Abel Ferreira, you know, only, only just took charge of Palmeiras and has already gotten two titles, two trophies in his cabinet. Um, so it's, it's just pretty incredible, honestly. Um, and and yeah, I think that we are going to be seeing um, a lot more Portuguese managers abroad. Uh, but I wanted to get your take on if you had to pick two managers in from Portugal currently coaching abroad who have impressed you the most. Uh, what wh- who would you who would you say uh, have impressed you the most over the past year or so? Well, I would definitely start with the Belfreda, of course. Um, you know, he he has done incredible well in like four or five months. <laughs> Two trophies in, in in the you know with Palmeiras, it, it's it's amazing, and and Paul Fonseca is also a very interesting one, um, and I, and I'll tell you why that. I will start with the bell. So it, we like in Portugal, coach education and, and kind of like. Uh, what managers actually go through in, in the early years, it, there's a common de- denominator. Uh, I don't know if this was talked before, but our coaching principles and, and the way that, that coaches are prepared are because of one single brilliant mind who created this concept of tactical periodization. And it, his name... Um, is uh, Vitor Frad, and the way that he sees football is okay. You train exactly the same way that you're gonna play. So if you play this way, then you have to do it for a prolonged duration. So during your trainings, you you still have your set times, your exercises, the way you want to train for matches and match preparation. But it's all about your team what you can do and how do you prepare it for competition. And of course, even on that sense, he identified there are several moments of the game and all these several moments of the game have to be coached and prepared for your matches. We can look at 
for example, very different philosophy. You have Guardiola, who has this kind of like Cruyff um, influence and the way that he plays and the way that he wants football to be and his philosophy. And of course, you have all the managers that have different philosophies. But what kind of differs from the Portuguese one is that we do really coach kind of like this way. And I heard someone saying, oh, but why is this team playing like this? Well, let's say that you have to prepare for a moment that your team is not going to have possession. And then from there, you need to transition into attacking and, and do it quickly. So you, you have these Portuguese managers that follow this, this kind of like school of thought that Vitor Frade created. And, and most of these managers that you, that you actually just kind of wanted to, 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 to give my, uh, have my take on it, they all somehow are connected because of Vitor Frade, uh, either because of previous managers like Mourinho um, or Queiroz, for example, that they all come from this different school and then from learning from all the managers as well that, you know, for example, you have Abel who played for with uh, Paulo Bento, uh, who played for Fernando Santos. And, and, you know, all these managers, in the end, they gain all this expertise and knowledge, but it's all based on, on of course, on Vitor Frad's a model of of tactical uh, periodization, and then at the end of it, of course, they kind of mix it up with with their own like style of play, but it's it's usually following that model, and and that makes Portuguese coaches quite adaptable because the way that our own philosophies as as coaches, at least that's what in Port in Portugal is being taught, is that is that you have to be adaptable. Of course, there's going to be moments that you might be in one situation, so you need to train in that situation. Of course, you might expect what your position might do, but you still need to kind of do that. And, and for me, Abel has been amazing. Uh, he started at Sporting uh, under 16s, if not mistaken, and then he kind of progressed to the B squad. And then he, he went to Braga as well. Uh, I think it was off the first or second season at the B squad, it was promoted to the first team. Uh, the team was playing really good football. Um, and then from there, he, of course, unfortunately, uh, he was sacked and then went to Pauk. And, and after that, uh, to Palmeiras, and, and he has done an amazing job. I, I watched uh, the River uh, second leg uh, match. And, and of course, like you can see that River dominated, but, but the way that... Uh, it was expected to be a game to be dominated. So, of course, the way that he set up, uh, uh, kind of like that tactical setup of allowing the opposition to play a different way, not creating as much threat, of course, then it's do it. In the end, of course, the quality of the players will, will have an effect on that. But it did break away several times for a counter. Maybe the players could have scored maybe two goals. Maybe the talking point wouldn't be all oh, River almost uh, went to the final because of VAR. No, like that's how we set up his teams. You, at Braga, when he was at Braga, the same way he set up really well the teams and they were playing different moments, not just defending. They knew when to defend. They knew when to keep possession. They knew when to also attack. And that's what I really like about as well. As well. Uh, Abel, he, he has like a really interesting... Um, take 
in in his players and the way that that kind of like his work ethic. Um, one thing I really like about Abel as well is very humble. Uh, you see a lot of managers, especially in Portugal, you see some of them that might be a little bit more, you'll say, arrogant, which it's very debatable depending on, on what you like on the manager or a manager or not. But he is is a hard worker, and and you can see that he relates really well with people. And I've I, I had the pleasure to hear as well, um, you know, his motivational speech. Uh, before the river uh, off time on the first leg, and it was just amazing, and and, and I really like it. With with Paul Fonseca as well, I always thought it was interesting uh, when he had his first uh, appointment at Passos Ferreira. It was one of the best football uh, being played at the time. I remember it was really good. He done really well. Uh, they qualified for the Europa League at that year. Um, and then when he jumped to Porto, a lot of people questioned that, if he was ready to take the job. Now, Porto, unfortunately, was having some financial troubles. Uh, they had spent a lot of money previously with managers that didn't really work out. And he got caught up on, on not having the players really that he wanted. Um, and again, he was still, I would say, he was not ready for that big jump as well. Uh, then he went to back to passes, an amazing season again. Went to Braga. I would say between him, uh, Abel, and George Zouge and Domingos, I would say these four managers and now Carvalhal, they they're quite comparably in terms of how they put the Braga squad. How is it right now? They all continued each other's work, and, and he had like he played. That was really good. Uh, good Braga squads, and again, Shakhtar the same, and have done really well. And at Roma, he even changed his game in terms of like the way that is still the same model and concepts and things like that. But now he, he has like a very good, um, how do you say, ad, uh, uh, an analysis department with him. And, and and funny thing, like during. The, you know, in Portugal, there's this kind of like podcast TV show uh, that was during the first quarantine. And, and you have the analysts of, of Paulo Fonseca speaking, and, and it's really interesting because he definitely sets up the same principles, but he kind of like, he wants to trap their opponents as well. He kind of plays like, plays that way. And you see so many times that he forces this team because the way that he sets up and, and, and it's quite interesting. I, I really like the way that he prepares his teams as well. And again, really good manager as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I just want to uh, point out, past 13, uh, over the past 13 years, Braga have had a treasure trove of managers. George Jesus, Leonardo Jardim, Gesualdo uh, Ferreira, Sergio Conceição, Paulo Fonseca, Abel Ferreira, and now Carlos Carvalhal, who's doing a phenomenal job uh, at Braga. Uh, I want to get into our Talent of the Week section uh, that we do um, at, at the end of each episode. Uh, I w so we've, we've discussed a lot of promising young talents, uh, both in Portugal as well as Portuguese players playing abroad. Uh, who is your Talent of the Week for today's episode? My talent of the week uh, is 
um, what's his name? Ah, Eustachio, Stefan Eustachio. So he's Portuguese Canadian and he is an amazing talent, a midfielder. Um, I don't think the national, the national team are, they're still debating if they're going to naturalize him or not, if he's going to be eligible to, to play for Portugal. Actually, he has, he has declared for, for Canada. Oh, he, Okay, thanks for, for saying it. He's declared. Yeah, he's, he's such an amazing player. And, and I know that Sporting has been following him. And the same for Braga as well. And, and considering that, for example, João Mari is on loan from Inter, and if Sporting doesn't have the money or cannot afford to, play, to pay uh, the amount that Inter uh, is requesting, I would say it would probably be the best replacement for 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 João Mario because he's just outstanding. And I'm still thinking to this day because I, I quite know him for quite some time when he first started to play at Chavez, I would say probably two seasons ago or so, three. And I always wondered why none of the other clubs actually went to get him. Because he is so such a good player. And... I would say one of the reasons why uh, Passos Frey is is like fifth place. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, if you are curious for more about Ustakia, definitely check out the piece on the website. Uh, it was a fantastic article by Jaime Silva. And uh, yeah, that was confusing how he rejected teams such as Sporting and uh, I believe Newcastle as well to join. Cruz Azul, but he's back at Passos Chipeira and playing a massive role in their uh, push for Europa League football. Um, so I definitely think he, he would be a great signing for a club like Sporting, although I do think that Porto is probably a more likely option, uh, you know, as a long-term replacement for Danilo Pereira. Wh whatever happens, I, I think he'll, he's definitely going to be off to a big club this summer. Um, so Without further ado, my talent of the week is Abel Ruiz. Uh, Abel, he, he began his career at Barcelona's famed La Masia Academy. Um, he, I, I believe he, he won uh, s several titles um, at the youth level for both Barcelona and Spain. And uh, he, did have, he did get a few minutes... Um, of, of, of game time at Barcelona, obviously struggle to make that jump uh, given the competition with players such as Luis Suarez there. But uh, he joined Braga um, as part of the deal for Francisco Trincao uh, in, in January. And uh, Trincao, it's, it's interesting, he remained on loan for the end of the season and he helped uh, Abel Ruiz settle into to uh, life at in Braga, which I thought was a nice detail. Um, so Abel, you know, he, he, he was kind of in the shadow of Paulinho a bit. Um, but one year after the Trincao deal, Braga completed another swap deal uh, with, with Sporting paying, I believe it was 16 million euros for Paulinho, uh, who, you know, has been one of the best strikers in the league um, for Braga over the past year or so. So Paulinho going to Sporting where he hasn't played much due to injuries uh, and Andras Borar going the other way on loan as well as Christian Borja jo joining on a, a permanent deal. And with Sporar, 
I guess, not being as good as Paulinho um, and struggling a bit with injuries as well. Paulinho, uh, Abel Ruiz has really stepped up as the talisman of attack, um, you know, alongside players such as Lucas Piazon uh, and Ricardo Horta. He's been on an incredible run of form uh, over the past few weeks. Got an assist against Tondela, got, an, got a goal against uh, Nacional. Uh, was absolutely crucial in in Braga beating Porto at the Estadio do Gao uh, with a brace and and progressing to the Tasa de Portugal final despite playing with ten men uh, and he recently picked up a goal and assist in uh, a crucial game against Victoria de Guimarães so and it seems that he will be called up for the Spain U21 side this month um, so he's been absolutely uh, fantastic for the Minotos recently and I do think that he could be the next Braga player to get a big move um, but right now most important thing is just staying focused at the job at hand getting Champions League football back to Braga um, but he's really gone up another level under Carlos Cavallal and uh, I, I'm really excited to see what happens next um, but without it with without further ado thank you so much Julio for coming on and uh, it was a real pleasure to have you on and I really hope you can be on again soon on the podcast. It was my pleasure as well and thank you for the invitation. I really enjoyed it and look forward, looking forward for another uh, invitation as well. All right. Thank you so much everybody for tuning in and we will have another podcast for you guys uh, up on Monday. So stay tuned for that. Um, I hope you have all enjoyed listening and uh, remember to subscribe and follow the Cortalinias podcast to stay updated for future episodes.